Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Happy Thanksgiving. We are so excited to today share a special Thanksgiving edition of Problematic Women with you all. So whether you're currently driving home for the holidays, maybe you're cooking in your kitchen, cleaning your house to get ready for company, or preparing for some sort of socially distanced gathering, we are really glad that you are sharing a little bit of your holiday week with us. And I am so excited for today's show. Lauren, what do we have queued up? Up on today's Problematic Women, we welcome historian Melanie Kirkpatrick to the show. Melanie is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and the author of several books, including Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience. We dive into the history of Thanksgiving with Melanie and discuss everything from the Pilgrim's first Thanksgiving to the woman who was instrumental in making the day a national holiday. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you do listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are so excited to welcome to the show Melanie Kirkpatrick, a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and the author of the book, Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. Melanie, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Virginia. Thank you for having me on. Now, I got your book, Thanksgiving, The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience, in the mail on Saturday, and I spent a large part of Saturday night and Sunday afternoon just sitting on my couch and reading your beautiful book and thinking uh, two thoughts. One, why have I not heard some of these really fascinating facts about Thanksgiving before? And two, why have I never heard anyone talk about Thanksgiving in this way? So I want to begin by asking you how your interest in Thanksgiving first began. My interest in first Thanksgiving began on uh, September 11th, 2001. When I was downtown, I was working for the Wall Street Journal, and um, my office was right across the street from the first tower. I was downtown on that day and saw the towers fall and then uh, walked home, which was at uh, West 90th Street. So it took me several hours to to get there. But um, after September 11th, like so many Americans, I began to consider what it meant to be an American. And I, uh, to kind of explore that, I went to William Bradford's monumental study of uh, a journal about the pilgrims of Plymouth Plantation. He was the second governor of, of um, Plymouth, and he wrote a journal beginning uh, in uh, Holland, where, of course, the pilgrims had gone into exile before they came to North America. And I was really uh, blown away by some of the observations he made. 
As Thanksgiving approached, I I jumped ahead and uh, read his account of what we call the first Thanksgiving. It's only about a hundred words, but I was struck by how much the spirit of togetherness and gratitude reflected the spirit of the holiday we still celebrate. That sparked my interest, and then I you know just began to. Uh, you know, uh, research bits and pieces over the past 399 years now to learn more about the holiday and uh, was so involved in it, I decided to write a book about it. Yeah. Well, and I love the fact that you you really highlight so well that Thanksgiving is a uniquely American holiday. And, you know, I think we all know that, but I had never really thought of it in in the terms that you put it until I read your book. And I never fully thought through how reflective the Pilgrim's experience and the first Thanksgiving really is of the experience that so many immigrants who come to America face. Can you just explain that a little bit further, how how much we can draw that, that direct link? One of the um most powerful uh, interviews I had in connection with my book, and and maybe one of the most powerful interviews I had in the course of my uh, journalism career, was with uh, students who were at Newcomers High School in Queens, New York, one of the boroughs of New York City. And Newcomers High School welcomes uh, immigrant kids and it teaches English as a second language along with the regular curriculum so that uh, the, the young people can you know, be, help them get settled in this new country. And I was invited to speak to three classes about uh, the American Thanksgiving. And this was uh, a week or so before Thanksgiving. And uh, uh, the kids were, most of the kids were about to celebrate the holiday for the very first time. So um, what really blew me away at, uh, with those kids was um, the discussion that we had about the meaning of Thanksgiving. And uh, like the pilgrims, uh, there were two categories of kids at this school, kids whose family had come to America seeking better lives uh, and those who had come to this country seeking the freedom to worship their own religion. So uh, one one girl spoke about, uh, she was from someplace in the Caribbean, I can't remember the island now, but she spoke about how um, back home uh, her, her father had been a, a houseboy and here in America he had a great job working for the Metropolitan Transit Authority of New York. And then a boy spoke up and he said he was from Tibet. Well, of course, Tibet is not a country that has existed since 1950 when China um, took it over. It's now incorporated into China. And he said he came, his family came to America because they wanted to uh, worship freedom uh, freely here. They were Buddhists following the Dalai Lama. And then a girl spoke up and said, well, I'm from Egypt and I'm a Copt. Copts are an ancient form of Christianity and uh, her family came because they were persecuted in Egypt. So um, I, I had the sense that these young immigrants, like many immigrants over the past couple of hundred years who've come to this country, really have a, an appreciation for this oldest tradition that we have 
perhaps better than a lot of American-born teenagers have. I think that's so beautiful to think of Thanksgiving in that context, that the pilgrims were traveling to the New World in order to freely practice their religion, to raise their children in the way that they saw best. And that's the exact reason why today so many individuals choose to immigrate to America. Uh, and <laughs> I just thought it was such a, a, a beautiful um, picture that you painted in your book. But, you know, I, I think when we think about um, the first Thanksgiving, often the things that come to our mind are those beautiful paintings of Thanksgiving, which are wonderful, but don't always uh, necessarily paint the most full or accurate picture of what exactly that first Thanksgiving was. I mean, the pilgrims had faced incredible challenges on their journey over in the first year that they arrived. Out of the 102 pilgrims who sailed to the New World, about half of them didn't make it through that first winter, didn't make it to that Thanksgiving Day celebration. A a severe sickness had taken the lives of men, women, and children. So considering the incredible hardship the pilgrims had faced and not knowing what the future held, what exactly were they celebrating? What were they thankful for? First of all, I'll I'll tell you that there are two uh, eyewitness accounts of the first Thanksgiving, uh, one by Governor William Bradford and the other by one of the pilgrims, um, uh, Edward Winslow. And neither of them uses the word Thanksgiving. This really surprised me. But for the uh, pilgrims who were celebrating in that famous harvest festival, that celebration was not a Thanksgiving. For them, a Thanksgiving was purely religious. And the first Thanksgiving took place for them Two years, almost two years later, in 1623, in July, when a rainfall ended a drought that had threatened, severely threatened their plantings. So uh, uh, Governor Bradford called a Thanksgiving to give thanks. For them, in other words, for the pilgrims, Thanksgivings were for specific uh, blessings, not for a a general sense of thanksgiving. That said, in 1621, the holiday that has come to be known as the first Thanksgiving, there was lots of gratitude going around. (laughs) The the pilgrims were great at gratitude. They said thanks, uh, you know, before and after every meal. They uh, were, um, uh, they sang psalms, which are hymns of praise and thanks so um, I, I'm happy calling it the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> so interesting. So yeah, that I guess yeah that word, as you said, it wasn't necessarily found in in those first early descriptions, but um, definitely encompasses the spirit of the holiday quite accurately. And one more thing I'll mention, which I found curious, was sometime in the 1630s it became popular to call general thanksgivings. That is um, a, a, to set aside a day to give thanks for God's general blessings overall, all blessings. Connecticut was the first to do that. 
And this was controversial among some people because some argued that having a, a Thanksgiving Day to give thanks for general blessings would make people forget about the specific blessings that, that God provided. But by the end of the century, uh, general thanksgivings were the norm and uh, often followed by a feast. Uh, there, were, they would, there would be worship in the morning, uh, sometimes worship in the afternoon, but eventually the afternoon worship gave way to um, family celebrations uh, and a lot of good food. But these were always uh, very Christian-focused celebrations, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, one of the things, though, I, I, I note in my book is that the Native Americans, of course, had uh, ceremonies of gratitude as well, religious ceremonies that uh, were in which they thanked uh, their God or their definition of God. The, uh, and I think it's um, in recent years, the, there's been much greater focus on the Native American aspect of the first Thanksgiving, which I think is a positive thing. Um, Ronald Reagan was the first to mention the Native Americans in, um, uh, in his, one of his Thanksgiving proclamations in which he quoted a, a Seneca prayer of gratitude, which is, which is very lovely. Hmm. We are talking with Melanie Kirkpatrick, author of the book, Thanksgiving, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. And Melanie, you bring up the Native Americans. And I actually wanted to ask you about that because I found it uh, quite interesting in your book that I, I think we always picture, or at least I know I have pictured that there were, you know, a whole bunch of pilgrims at that first Thanksgiving. And then there was a few Native American Indians, <laughs> but that wasn't quite the dynamic, was it? It's just the opposite. Um, as you mentioned earlier, half of the Pilgrim Company had perished in the past year. So there were only about 50 of them, uh, many of whom were um, children or, or youths. Um, and we know from one of the eyewitness accounts that 90 Native American men arrived bearing three deer. So in fact, the the pilgrims were just about what well, were certainly outnumbered, and uh, there were ninety native men compared to this group of fifty uh, men, women, and children who were the English settlers. Um, and I I think this is an interesting point because um, lots of people look well in recent years. Thanksgiving has been denigrated to some extent as an example of Western put-down of the Indians and the beginning of the terrible uh, devastation of the Native tribes in New England and then across the rest of the country. And, um, of course, the bloodshed that followed was, was terrible. But at this point in time, this was between the natives and the English settlers. This was a, a moment to cherish. It was a time of friendship, a time of neighborliness and people being jointly helpful. If anything, the Indians were 
more powerful than the English in the sense that they're the ones who taught the English settlers um, how to plant in the, the rocky soil of New England. They showed them the best fishing areas. And um, William Bradford himself wrote that the English had a great debt to the uh, Native Americans in helping them survive in the New World. Hmm. So in other words, the Pilgrims probably wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for the Native Americans' help, correct? I think that's right. Wow, wow. Now, uh, today we think of Thanksgiving and the Pilgrims really synonymously. I mean, you can't have one without the other in our minds, but uh, that wasn't always the case, as you explain (laughs) in the book. So could you explain uh, the various, I suppose, transitions that Thanksgiving has really gone through over the years? Well, uh, this came as a big surprise to me. The pilgrims weren't part of the Thanksgiving celebration until the mid-19th century. And that was when William Bradford's journal uh, was rediscovered. His journal uh, somehow was raided, was stolen during the Revolutionary War and taken to England. And in the middle of the 19th century, it was found in the library of the Bishop of London. This was returned to America, and it was a very big deal. And so uh, that's when the um, the celebration uh, really began to include the pilgrims. There was also an an, uh, an influence on uh, the Thanksgiving that we know today, which is a holiday mostly forgotten now called Forefathers' Day. And around the time of the Revolution, There were men in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, who thought that um, America needed some national heroes of its own. And they decided that uh, the pilgrims fit the bill and began to uh, meet every year in on on the day, uh, December 21st, usually, the anniversary of the day that the pilgrims arrived in Plymouth. And so they began to help tell the pilgrim's story and to hold them up as an example of early American uh, heroes and an example of uh, liberty and religious freedom. So that holiday, which became popular in New England and was widely celebrated in New England and then across the country by New Englanders who traveled uh, or emigrated across the country, it was widely celebrated in the early part of the 19th century. So when the Pilgrim Bradford's journal was found, that added to the interest in the pilgrims, which had been piqued by the, the holiday Forefathers' Day. And what role uh, did early presidents, and specifically George Washington, play in really furthering the celebration of Thanksgiving? The story of George Washington and the first Thanksgiving as a nation was um, probably the most surprising thing I learned in my research. In 1789, the uh, Congress of the United States, the first Congress of the United States, was uh, deliberating in New York City, which was, of course, the capital of the country then. And they'd been deliberating since March. And in September, they decided that they wanted to take a break. And uh, a few members of Congress uh, thought it would be good 
to go to Washington and ask him to declare a Thanksgiving Day. Now, other members of Congress objected, and there was a heated debate in Congress about whether the president had the authority under the Constitution to declare a national Thanksgiving. The two objections are ones that will be familiar to all Americans today. Uh, The first was that Thanksgiving was a religious holiday and therefore uh, outside the realm of authority of any president. The second objection had to do with separation of powers. And the argument was that because the authority to declare a Thanksgiving wasn't specifically enshrined in the Constitution as going to the president, uh, the president did not have the authority to do that, that it was only the governors who could declare a Thanksgiving day. So Congress debated this. And in the end, uh, we don't know the exact vote. Um, A resolution passed and a delegation went to Washington to ask him to declare a Thanksgiving Day for the nation. Now, we all know what a great leader Washington was, and that leadership was shown in what he did. He issued a Thanksgiving proclamation, and he had it sent to the governors of each of the 13 states, but he didn't order them to celebrate Thanksgiving. Instead, he requested that they do so. And in other words, he was, Washington was saying that he understood that a presidential proclamation did not have the force of law. Now, of course, because of the uh, high esteem in which the president was held, every governor went along with his request and uh, the national Thanksgiving was celebrated nationwide. I find that so fascinating. And I I also found really uh, interesting in the book that uh, for years and years, states didn't necessarily celebrate Thanksgiving on the same day that they chose to celebrate it, maybe sometime in, in November, the end of October, even the beginning of December. And it wasn't until a woman named Sarah Hale came along that she uh, kind of pushed for for the day to to be celebrated across the nation on the exact same day every year. That's right. Um, I'll come to Sarah Josepha Hale in a moment, but first I, I'll, I'll tell you that there's a, an adage that uh, I, I think is very funny that explains how Thanksgiving worked. And it, it was said back in the uh, 19th, early part of the 19th century that um, uh, if a man planned his itinerary uh, carefully, he could have a Thanksgiving dinner every week in the fall. <laughs> So, uh, yes, governors chose the date of Thanksgiving, and they did not coordinate. And some states didn't have Thanksgivings, so it wasn't celebrated everywhere necessarily. And Sarah Joseph Hale is a remarkable character, and I'm actually writing a biography of her, which uh, will, I hope, be coming out uh, next fall. And she was editor of the most popular magazine of the, the most widely circulated magazine of the pre-Civil War period, a magazine called Godey's Ladies Book. And starting in the 1940s, she started a campaign for a national Thanksgiving. 
she, in the pages of her magazine, she would write editorials encouraging governors to coordinate and and hold uh, Thanksgivings on the same day. And then privately, she wrote to presidents and she wrote to governors and she wrote to members of Congress trying to make the case for a national Thanksgiving. As the years got closer to the Civil War, she argued very passionately that Thanksgiving, a national Thanksgiving would be a way to avoid war. She saw it as... um, if, if all Americans celebrated together on the same day, it would focus our attention on our blessings as a nation and uh, avert war. So, of course, that didn't happen. Um, every president turned her down, um, usually with the arguments that um, I mentioned earlier as to why uh, they thought thanks, the president did not have the authority to call a national Thanksgiving. But then in 1863, she wrote to Lincoln, and Lincoln agreed to call a national Thanksgiving. This was a a remarkable undertaking, given the timing of this. The country was, of course, engulfed in civil war. The uh, Battle of Gettysburg had happened, uh, had taken place in July, when uh, there was a terrific loss of life on both sides. But uh, it also signaled the turning of the tide in the war, and it became clear that the North was winning. Lincoln issued his proclamation with a, uh, a an eye toward the post-war future. The uh, a time when America, the country would again be united. He used a, a beautiful phrase in his proclamation, calling on Americans to celebrate Thanksgiving with one heart and one mind. I think that's a lovely thought that uh, I, I think we should strive for in every Thanksgiving day, and and perhaps especially this year when the country has been so fractured over politics and culture. Well, and I want to mention that um, so many of those beautiful Thanksgiving Day proclamations by presidents, by first ladies, by other leaders are, uh, are are in the book. You have a whole section in the back of the book that is just readings for Thanksgiving Day, which I think is such a treasure for any family to have who, you know, you eat that big Thanksgiving Day meal <laughs> and then you're all sitting around like, what do we do next? And it's perfect. Well, you, you know, Virginia, that was an afterthought. I had actually finished the manuscript and was, um, uh, you, you know, I, I had all of these wonderful quotations from four, more than 400 years of history that I didn't, I hadn't been able to work into the book. And I, uh, there's, most of them are short and they begin with, um, uh, I, I begin with a, the uh, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, it's a hymn of gratitude, but the, 
the translation I used was, I published was the one from the Geneva Bible, which was the Bible that the pilgrims used and, and took with them to Plymouth. And the wording is quite different from the one we know today. It comes mostly from the King James or the Revised Standard Version. Uh, and it goes up to the present day. There are quotes from American soldiers in uh, the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, and um, then in more uh, recent uh, conflicts about Thanksgiving Day. Uh, there are quotes from famous people in our history like Abigail Adams and uh, Billy Graham. So it, it was a lot of fun putting it all together. Yeah, well, it really is just an absolutely beautiful book. You have recipes in the back as well. It's just, it really is kind of a treasure of a book. Um, and we'll be sure in, in the show notes to link uh, link to it. So anyone who wants to order a copy can for themselves. But, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that we are uh, talking about Thanksgiving specifically this year, because, you know, I think in, in 2020, uh, it's a year where celebrating Thanksgiving could maybe come with a little bit of hesitation, or uh, I might even use the word resentment. It, it's been a really hard year. And still, you know, we're, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We've seen racial tensions that have gone on for, for months and months in our country and spurred rioting and looting. We've had a very heated election. But if we look back at that first Thanksgiving after the Pilgrims had watched half, half of their friends and family members die, and they had no way of knowing if they would make it through the next winter. I think it's encouraging to remember that Thanksgiving was really birthed out of hardship. Do you feel like that's an accurate assessment, fair to say? I do, Virginia, and that's an eloquent way of, of putting it. This is true too for the thanks the European Thanksgivings that predated the, what we know as the first Thanksgiving. Um, one of the chapters in my book talks about those earlier Thanksgivings, which uh, took place in Virginia and Texas and um, uh, Maine, and uh, even up in Canada in um, the Arctic, you know, within the Arctic Circle. So, uh, and I talk a little bit about uh, Native Thanksgivings as well. But uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is born out of hardship. And the holiday that marks the beginning of the modern tradition of Thanksgivings was Lincoln's proclamation from 1863. And if ever, that was a point in time when our country was torn apart more than it ever has been, far worse than anything today. On that note, I'd, I'd like to also mention that this Thanksgiving is going to be, as the lockdowns have been, it's going to be very hard on people who are alone. Uh, so many elderly and other vulnerable people can't meet with their relatives this year. And uh, there are a lot of, or friends, there are a lot of people who are going to be celebrating, if they celebrate at all, uh, uh, by themselves. I think one of the, the saddest images in American culture is uh, someone who has nowhere to go on Thanksgiving Day. 
And while it also has sparked a, um, a, a huge um, volunteer movement to help people, just those people who are left alone or elderly or sick or in prison uh, or uh, in the military, there are lots of, of uh, efforts, charitable efforts to make sure that every American, no matter how desolate or how uh, marginalized, will be able to have a Thanksgiving dinner. These are much, making that happen is a lot harder uh, this year. You can't, uh, if, if you have a food kitchen, you can't invite people to come and sit around the table together with you. So uh, it's, a, it's a very challenging year, and I hope we all remember the less fortunate um, as we are fortunate enough to sit around our own Thanksgiving tables. Yeah. And Melanie, thank you so much for that reminder. Um, I think it is so important, <laughs> always important at Thanksgiving, but this year especially to you know, pick up the phone and call those individuals who we know are alone or may be alone or have recently lost loved ones. Um, this this is truly, a, I think, a Thanksgiving that um, it, it's needed in our nation right now. We need a moment to remember our beautiful history and to kind of stand uh, united for a moment and give thanks to the Lord for for what he's done for us personally and as a country um, so definitely, definitely encourage all of our listeners to think through who are those people that maybe that maybe need a phone call on Thanksgiving that maybe need some encouragement. Um, but uh, Melanie is going to stay with us for our next segment as we crown our problematic woman of the week. So stay with us. We will be back in just a moment. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. If you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Rachel Del Judas, Kate Trinko, Rob Bluey, and myself, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to the 18 pilgrim women who boarded the Mayflower to come to the new world. So we love talking about strong and powerful women on this show. So Melanie, I'm really glad that you're still with us because I want to ask you about those 18 pilgrim women who boarded the Mayflower, said, yes, I will take this journey into the unknown with my husband, with my children. One of those women we know was Susanna White. Uh, she boarded the Mayflower pregnant and actually delivered on the ship when it was uh, docked in Cape Cod. Um, so just, just incredible to think of these ladies and uh, the strength that they would have had to agree to take this journey. You mentioned that um, there were 18 women on the Mayflower with the Pilgrim community. And after the first winter, 
there were only four left. So only four of those women survived to take part in the first Thanksgiving. It's an astonishing figure, and it uh, demonstrates the uh, the travails that they endured. Um, I'll mention one other woman. Um, Bradford's first wife, Dorothy, um, died. And she died when the ship, the Mayflower, was anchored off Cape Cod. She drowned. And some historians believe that she may have killed herself, that she slipped over the side of the ship deliberately because she was so terrified of um, what uh, awaited her when they landed. Uh, And, of course, the other women died of exposure or sickness. Um, And uh, uh, there were uh, many children who survived and young people. And some of the wives uh, remarried to uh, fellow pilgrims. Wow. I mean, it's just (laughs) really incredible to think of these individuals just literally sailing into the unknown uh, and um, everything that they endured and the strength that they had. We're certainly thankful for them, for the sacrifices that they've made. Um, And it's wonderful to remember and hear their stories and just reflect on where we have come from as a nation. So Melanie, I really want to thank you for your time today, for sharing so much of your knowledge with us. And I certainly encourage our listeners uh, to go ahead and pick up a copy of your book, Thanksgiving, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. Melanie, thank you so much. Thank you, Virginia, and happy Thanksgiving to you and all your listeners. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll be back with you all next week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.